Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Welcome, 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 everyone who's here online at the moment and um, those who might be listening in on another day from the Sangas in Madison, Wisconsin, England, Switzerland, Alpine, Chicago, and Hawaii. So welcome, welcome to you all as well. Uh, before we get started, I would like to make a few announcements. It's kind of like save the date sorts of things. They will be mentioned on uh, Stephanie's uh, news announcement letter that comes out once a week and also on the calendar. But anyway, just want to give you a heads up. Uh, October 8th, I'll be leading a one day sit. So um, I, the registration isn't up and the announcement isn't official announcement written announcement isn't out yet, but just so you know, uh, October 8th, and then uh, a three day intensive is coming up in November. Um, it'll be Friday night, Saturday and Sunday, the 5th of November to the 7th of November. And uh, that will be led by Joel and Todd. And then another uh, thing it's off in the distance in November too. On the 10th, we've uh, advertised this before, so I'll just mention it again. It, there'll be a formal memorial for Kevin of Frost. Uh, it'll be held at Mercury Hall outside, and that will be on uh, November 10th uh, at 4 o'clock. So that's the latest and greatest on that. So the title of this talk today is a householder's path, the path of contradictions. Um, this is, uh, the talk is going to be talking about, uh, we're going to be discussing uh, stream entering and the path according to the Buddha. And the star of the show is going to be his cousin, Mahanama. So, uh, this talk is based on um, Stephen Batchelor's book, After Buddhism, Rethinking the Dharma for a Secular Age. And basically what it is, is um, what I'm focused on, is a series of conversations that the Buddha has with his cousin, um, Mahanama, about Mahanama's path, about the stream enterer's path. So it's a, a series of, of interactions between them that I found significantly instructive as to the Buddha's vision of the path. Most of these interactions take place in, uh, um, let me get the name wrong, Kapilavatu, which was the capital of 
what was a republic and subsequently became a territory. But anyway, of uh, uh, Sakiya, which is the, the homeland of the Buddha, of Siddhartha. Okay, so this, this just for those of you who are interested in geography, um, it's thought that this um, area is located, was located to the east of the Ganges and in the southeastern part of Nepal. There's no actual confirmation of that as of yet, but that's what it's thought. Sure, so there's a series of interactions. In the first one, um, Mahanama is uh, is a young man and he appears and he's um, responsible. He's kind of a small administrator of the town of Kapila Batu and he's patrolling the town at night. And who does he come upon but the Buddha? And the Buddha is <laughs> fleeing. He's leaving the town. This is when he's, Siddhartha is leaving to become a mendicant. And of course, uh, Mahavatu stops him and says, no, no, no. He cries out and he tries to convince him to stay because a lot of people, there's a lot of people who love him there and they'll, they'll be really upset and so forth. But uh, Siddhartha is determined and, and off he goes. Um, Later, we have another, uh, this is according to the literature that, that Vetch would research, by the way, it's these different incidents. So several years later, um, there's a power struggle, struggle in Kapilavatu um, for who is going to be in, in charge, uh, the, the leader of the assembly governing the affairs of the Sakian community. And, you know, it shifts from one person to another, and then, well, it was a question, and ultimately, it goes to Mahanama. And over time, he becomes the chief of Sakya and the head of the Kotama clan. At the same, at the same time, he's also considered a stream entrant. So what that means is he's been following the teachings of the Buddha. So specifically, I want to talk about what it means, what they're saying, what a stream entrant is specifically, <clears throat> according to these teachings. Um, so the stream uh, is the metaphor for the Eightfold Path. And the stream entrant is a person who has entered the stream, so he's going to be following the Eightfold Path. And not only that, but the path, the quality of this of his practice is that they uh, he has made or the stream enters it makes uh, the path his own. So he may receive guidance from a teacher occasionally in discernment, but basically it's his practice. Um, he's been practicing a lot and uh, knows himself, and it's it's his practice. So what this means is that when you enter the stream is that you're no longer caught in the cycles of habitual behavior that don't lead anywhere. 
And furthermore, you're released to, you're released to flow freely without impediment. And then he goes into a further definition, Bachelor does, it says free flow. What is this free flow? What does that mean? And that is, it, it's um, the experience um, of being alive and being alive with autonomy and integrity. For Mahanama in particular, um, when he became a stream entrant, it mean, meant for him that the path was no longer just a, a belief or an aspiration, but he had come into his own. So the stream or the Eightfold Path is held between the banks, like the stream has you know, banks on each side, and those banks are composed of commitments and value, values. Um, most importantly, the lucid, quote unquote, lucid confidence in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. So, in addition to that, as I mentioned, this way of life is autonomous in that it no longer uh, is determined by instinctual reactivity or impulses of greed, hate, and delusion. And the source of the path is the person's direct experience of the absence of the three impulses, greed, hate, and delusion. That is nirvana. So we're going to look at this a little bit closer. An important distinction is made here that the experience of nirvana marks a turning point in, the, in an individual's life. Um, instead, it's not a final immutable goal. Um, so it doesn't mean that once you've glimpsed nirvana, innate reactivity will never occur. I think that is so such an important point. Uh, I think we all know this already, but I hadn't heard it um, written out this way. So you can experience nirvana and you become a stream entrant given the other things with um, faith and their confidence in the Buddha, Dharma and Sangha, um, the Eightfold Path, following the Eightfold Path, and you experience nirvana, and uh, so you have a, a, a time where you're free from your reactivity. And after that experience, one knows, one knows in the full, full way of knowing that one is free to not act on impulses that naturally arise in reaction to a particular situation. So they know that. They can't undo that experience. Now, whether they choose to, or whether we choose to act or not is another matter. It's a separate deal. But this, the fact that one is experienced, then you know that there is an option of not um, following your reactivity. So, this freedom is the source from which the stream of the path begins to flow. 
So, uh, Gautama then, once uh, Mahanama has reached this point, Gautama declares Mahayana one who possesses lucid confidence in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, and whose mind leans towards Nirvana. So now he's a stream enter. Mahanama has experienced this reorientation of his life and seen for himself the possibility of radically, a radically different way to be in the world. And he's no longer driven by sense appetites and fears upon this experience. But rather, he makes conscious choices of thinking, speaking, and acting in accordance with the Dharma. Thus, he is officially converted to Gautama's teaching. At the same time, there's another um, quality that goes uh, that uh, stream entrants possess besides this, this confidence in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. It's um, what, what comes with that, with one's uh, confidence in these three, in the three treasures, is a degree of dignity. So the, just the confidence in the treasures, taking refuge in the treasures, ennobles one's character. I thought that was so great. I've never heard that. I've never seen that before. It was great. Okay. The next encounter we have with Mahanama, he has a concern about stream entry. And it's based on the fate of a particular um, member of the community, Sakian uh, community. Um, he's just died. And the Buddha has said that he's a stream entrant. And the community is up in arms, They're complaining about it. They're shocked, outraged. And why? Because the Buddha gave, said that this guy was a stream entrant, and yet he was the town drunk. How could that be? <laughs> so uh, Mahanama decided to have an appointment with Buddha to get this clarified. This is very confusing to him. So Buddha's explanation to uh, Mahanama is that this fellow, Sarakani, is truly an adherent. In other words, uh, adherent is, means um, they're a follower of the Buddha, but they're not a mendicant. So it's, it's like householder, similar sort of thing, but the translation doesn't go to householder, it goes to adherent. So anyway, but that's what they're talking about. Um, so, uh, this Sarakani is an adherent who had sought refuge in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha for a long time. The Buddha continued, stream entry is a shift in one's core perspective on life rather, rather than the attainment of a degree of enlightenment or holiness. Oh, that's interesting. 
So while we may grant a certain dignity, we may, the, the process, stream entrance of it, may grant a certain dignity, a relapse in undignified behavior is still possible. But one should be remembered in the term, and specifically in this, in terms of uh, the case of the Sarakani, one should be remembered, or this, this fellow should be remembered in terms of his health, heartfelt values, including that of awakening in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. And that those values sought to embody his life in spite of repeated failures. So, isn't that what a wonderful thing? I mean, it's such a forgiving uh, way of looking at things instead of this juxtaposition of sinners and saints. And it's a clear illustration that both sinners and saints are present in the noble Sangha. Buddha goes on to see Buddha, Buddha and um, Mahanama are seated among some psalteries. And I, I was going to look up what a psaltery is. I have no clue. But anyway, whatever they are, they're sitting there. And Buddha says, if these nearby psalteries can understand the difference between um, well, something that is well, well spoken or badly spoken, or perhaps we could think of that in terms of can discern what wise speech is, then he would declare them stream entrance. And if that's the case, then surely Sarakani deserves it. I've heard him spending so much time. In this seventh interaction between the Buddha and Mahanama, uh, the topic is uh, about conversion. Conversion meaning uh, becoming part of the path or becoming a stream entrant <clears throat> following the Buddha. So at that particular time, uh, there was within the, the Sangha at large, there was a divisive, it was a divisive topic during Buddha's time. And so even those that were close to the Buddha were couldn't kind of quite agree on what it meant. There's some confusion there. So in particular, you know how sanghas are. Anyway, Godha, Goda and the Sakyan uh, and his friend Mahanama are in disagreement about the criteria for stream entry. They're talking about it. These my sangha members. I think of the sangha when we're talking about, well, do we bow here? No, I think it's over there, you know. Always talking about how things should be. Um, so anyway, they have this disagreement about uh, what the stream entrance consists of, and so Mahanama is saying, "Well, it's, it's the four attributes," and, something. and and Goda is saying, "No, no, no. There's only three. So they're they're arguing about that. So they decide to go to the Buddha to get clarification again. What exactly are the criteria for stream entry? And they want Buddha to settle the dispute. Well, Mahanama presents, this, presents the dispute, explains the ins and outs of it. 
And before he finishes, he also basically declares allegiance to a Buddha. He says, no matter what anybody says, you know, everybody is in disagreement with you, you know, Buddha, I'm on your side no matter what. It's a very interesting thing to happen. And the Buddha, instead of answering the question about the dispute, dispute he turns to Goda and says, so what do you think of Mahanama talking this way? And what Bachelor says is the conversation reveals Mahanama as a faithful devotee of the Buddha, for sure, but something of a fanatic, right? Um, just that, because he's going to follow with the Buddha. So it indicates that Mahanama thinks authority, authority figure, or authority does not lie with the Dharma and reason reflection and discussion with others, but exclusively in the person of Buddha. And that's very different, very different. And it's not, not the vision of the Buddha. So Bachelor suggests that Buddha was unhappy with Mahayana's way of responding. Subsequently, Mahanama was uncomfortable with Buddha's tolerance and his refusal to make a decision or to impose his views on, on people. So again, Bachelor suggests that um, that perhaps Mahanama saw it as some sort of weakness or indecisiveness on the part of the Buddha. But he also says that living during this time, in the Buddha's time, there's a lot of confusion and turmoil and different groups coming up and so forth. Um, so it was a time of crisis. And the Mahanama really wanted certainty. What are the rules? And he wanted resolve in his teaching. And this sort of desperation of wanting to hold on to something makes a person turn toward fanaticism. And at that time, people often adapt views that are inflexible. It serves as a comforting mechanism, defense mechanism, when they feel threatened and overwhelmed by the forces that they cannot control. Now this caught my eye, uh, this particular passage. I was thinking of these times, where we are right now. This time of uncertainty. We don't know what's gonna happen next week or a month or two months or six months from now. What's gonna happen with COVID? That's the biggest thing, I guess. We really don't know what's going to happen anyway, but that's really driving a lot of this uncertainty. And a lot of people feel threatened and overwhelmed by that. And so they develop inflexible views equally as a defense mechanism against the overwhelming, uncontrollable forces and events. It's just a thought. Same thing going on today. 
So uh, the next interaction between Mahanama and Buddha comes from the shorter discourses on the mass of suffering. And it reveals an encounter whereby Mahayana greets the Buddha and comes and sits by his side, or sits to one side. And Mahayana explains to the Buddha his understanding of the Dharma. And he says, I understand. Greed corrupts the mind. Hate corrupts the mind. Delusion corrupts the mind. He says, nevertheless, greedy, hateful, and deluded thoughts or states at times overwhelm my mind and stay there. And I wonder what state is still at work within me such that these greedy, hateful, and deluded thoughts keep invading me and walk away. So the Buddha responds and says that the state that lies at the root of Mahanama's spiritual anguish is his sensual desire of karma. And it's not, what's an interesting point here, it's, it's not that uh, Mahanama fails to understand that sensual desire provides little gratification and that it doesn't go anywhere. He, he understands that perfectly well. On the contrary, and, and he knows that it leads to great suffering. Um, he understands it very well, but because he has, this is, as the text reads, because he has no access to the kind of bliss experienced in deep states of meditative absorption, he remains enthralled to the joys of sensual pleasure. And that's something I hadn't heard before either. Well, that was interesting. So Bachelor goes on to explain uh, that this there's this notion of kama that's an old concept from it comes down from the Indian from India and that sensual desire was present from the beginning at creation um, and it was out of this desire that the whole, whole cosmos was created and evolved and then in Buddhist cosmology human beings inhabit the world of sensuality, which is ruled by Mara or Kamadita, the god of sensuality. So Kama is closely identified with passion and sexual lust, with the primary instinctive urge to survive and reproduce, which is kind of a different way of, um, a different way of looking at it. But anyway, so this has been around for a long time, and the Buddha states that that is at the root of his of his issues, of his invading thoughts. And he also says that this kama or sensual desire is what makes greed, hate, and delusion stick or linger and fester in our minds. So now Mahanama has these external conflicts because he's 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 a um, he's a layman. He's involved in in politics. He has a public role as the chief. And he also suffers 
from great anxiety based on his heightened awareness of the contradictions within himself. So he's dedicated his life to values taught by the Buddha, but despite his best efforts, he keeps getting invaded by these forces that he feels he needs to transcend. And so he's tormented and burdened by the duties to others and troubled by his irrepressible desire. So he's got these thoughts. At the same time, he's someone who slants, slopes, and leans towards no one. Actually says it's not a contradiction. It's not a contradiction. Both can exist in one person. Again, Gautama knows that people cannot be divided into saints and sinners. Uh, there's another um, source, the Noble Quest, in which the Buddha states that what he understood on awakening under the Bodhi tree is hard to grasp because it goes against the stream. That stream, or entering into the stream of the Eightfold Path, but it means to go against the stream of our own reactivity. So when we choose to think, act, or speak otherwise than prompted by our habits, requires considerable resolve and commitment. For Mahanama, he is taking, Bachelor says, gotta give the guy a break. He's taking his first steps along the path. It's hardly surprising then that he feels overwhelmed and battered by forces within. <clears throat> and that it's understandable that when you start to confront your innate impulsivity instead of following the prompts, habitual prompts, the act of resistance seems to intensify the power of reactions. If you can identify with this, I was thinking of two things uh, in my life. One was um, dieting. I'm not a good dieter. If you tell me I can't have something, that's what I want. And I just go crazy. That's what I want. So it's a similar sort of thing that's going here. Instead, I have to do it a different way. Um, or stopping smoking. It's the same thing. You say you can't have it. You stop it. And, the craving gets worse than it ever was before. So this is what we're talking about. And from, from this, oftentimes there's an ensuing sense of powerlessness and frustration, which then can turn into self-loathing. Become angry with yourself because you can't stop whatever it is that you want to stop. And you're not just not doing what you want, but often you're doing the opposite of what you want. <clears throat> so as this safe self-hatred grows and festers, it can mutate into the wish to harm oneself and punish yourself for your weaknesses. So with this, the Buddha pointed out to Mahanama, the dangers 
inherent in sensual indulgence, made clear. But at the same time, he warned him against the temptation of self-punishment, saying, what, is, what does that accomplish? That doesn't help. That doesn't <laughs> make it any easier. So clearly, Buddha's vision of liberation is not trapped in one or the other. Middle way. Now, Mahanama is, is not renouncing the world to become a mendicant, as I indicated before. He's entangled in politics with this fear and anxiety and this lack of control over his desires. Yet, he's a stream entrant whose mind has been fortified for a long time by faith, virtue, generosity, learning, understanding, and he inclines towards nirvana. In another passage, he's actually described as a householder, as I mentioned earlier, and that he has found fulfillment in the Tathagata. He's become a seer of the deathless and goes about having beheld the deathless. <clears throat> so Bachelor then describes Mahanama as an eminently worldly figure. He's complex. He's flesh, he's a flesh and blood individual, very much like our own conflicted self. And for that, I think that these stories are important for us to hear, to know what the Buddha's responses were to Mahana. So I have uh, an exercise here. Um, I can't tell how many we are, uh, Maria. Um, there's 12 of us, including you. Okay, so um, maybe we could get in groups of um, three. And, um, and what I thought we could do is, uh, discuss between the group each person discuss any reactivity that you may struggle with oh good you're writing it down i take it put in chat maybe anyway uh, so any reactivity that you that you struggle with doesn't have to be major whatever degree and then um how often are you aware of it? are you aware of it at all when it happens or is your reaction delayed? Like it's like a month later, you go, Oh, yeah, I've been blaming this person. Well, maybe, 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 maybe oh, you know, or maybe it's a day later, maybe it's a week, you know, just how often does it take before you might be aware of it? And then um, has that changed over time? Was it at one time greater and now it's less, or has it stayed the same always? And lastly, um, if you do notice this reactivity, and when you notice this reactivity, um, how do you feel towards yourself when it arises? So does that seem clear? 
Okay, and then when we come back together, if I don't know if you want to have a spokesperson that maybe can uh, kind of tell what the other people say without mentioning names. And anybody who doesn't feel comfortable working on this, you know, that's fine. You don't have to. It's not going to to the fire here. Um, so, okay, and we'll spend. Uh, let's say 15 minutes on that. Uh, give us five minutes. It'll give us about five minutes to um, to chat about it, and then open the to do service. Oh, we better do it in ten minutes. Let's do it in ten minutes, and then um, and then we'll discuss in it, and then do service. Do the rest of our stuff, our chats. Okay. Well, ten minutes for breakout rooms. Did you say? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Thank you. So how was that? Does anybody want to share how that went? Kim. So. Uh, I was curious about this this uh, thing. So we we notice the reactivity is one step, and then note after noticing it dropping off. Maria talked about how she you know, is sometimes able to have it dropped off. I'm in the middle of a reactivity event, so I notice the reactivity, but. I notice also that it's still there. I'm still reacting. I'm in the midst of it. Ah, uh, really? You're in the midst of it? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You know, I found out something devastating about a friend. Okay. So, so I'm reacting and, and it's unresolved. I don't understand it. I don't understand, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, another thing that was, that you said that was different than what I've heard before. You know, I'm sure Stephen Batchelor believes this, that there's a equivalency between following the Eightfold Path and stream entering. Mm -hmm. And and I, uh, though that would be the behavior of people entering the, the stream entering, mm -hmm. many would follow the Eightfold Path and not be stream enters, it seems. Yes, and in fact, um, the distinction that I heard, he, he, the, the original definition of stream enterer is following the Eightfold Path, but then he makes all these other distinctions about the most important thing is uh, taking refuge in the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, and then this, um, this ennobling of your character, becoming more dignified as a result of that. And then it's also understood this banking of the stream consists of commitment and values. Um, so there's a lot more entailed in it than, than just that. But the essential is this um, change in your perspective, a reorientation of your life and your perspective, because at some point you have experienced a freedom in that habitual activity. Does that make sense? It's a much bigger thing, the stream enter, than the other. Than just oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and another thing that I read, like, in the last week was that the, once you enter the stream, it's there's no turning back. 
Well, you were always a stream enterer. At, le at, at, the, at least. Yeah. You might yeah, be doing yeah. that over it's, and over. Go beyond that to, beyond yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that, Ah, Juan. Yeah, last last time I was talking about an experience I had in a junction, West Texas, uh, kayaking in the Rio Seco, I think it's called. I forgot the name of the river there. And that was my first experience of uh, kayaking. Ah. Uh, so I, I found that the, the, the metaphor of this of this stream very uh, apropos in this case because um, I was it was my first experience and I was just telling my group there that the first time I went through a very strong rapid it was a total failure and uh, I even turned over and I was I was a little bit ashamed you know because I was the only one of the group of seven that turn over and everybody came and helped me and I was feeling so confused. But then I noticed that everybody was actually having fun, that there was no real danger there and they helped me turn the kayak around and, and so on. And, and of course, uh, later, I, uh, I, I, they, they started telling me, you gotta get through the middle of the stream, so to speak, and find that golden line and do not go to the banks because if you go to the banks that's where the whirlpools will be that will turn you around and so i said okay so that so next rapid i did it okay the next one i did okay but the the fourth one boom again but that time <laughs> at that time i was more uh more, more i realized what it was and just i just let it be you know just in, like you said at the beginning you know, it's not it's not happening to you. It's just happening, and uh, and then I actually for that fourth rapid I went backwards, and I, everybody was laughing. I never seen somebody go <laughs> rapid backwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so while it is happening, as Kim was saying, you know, yes, the first thing is to react. Oh, panic. But then you, then you just realize I'm in the middle of that reaction. I'm just going to let it be, see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Yeah, and I think it's kind of, it's interesting in, in these sorts of situations. It's, you know, things like fear that come up in the middle that kind of create this, this uh, reaction, right? And then we kind of write ourselves or something and then we can drop into it and let it go <clears throat> once the fear has subsided and get control of the fear. Yeah, that's a good example. Joel? Uh, I, I, I'm so glad that, oh, yes, I'm so glad that Juan Carlos was uh, talking about the, uh, describing for the group what he described in our breakout room because it was the, the metaphor was so great, and I and I really like the point that he was making at the end there. That um, that I think resonated with what you read about the Buddha talking to Mahanama and saying, "It's not going to do you any good to punish yourself over this. Uh, 
practice or to, to think of, of uh, to dwell on what you did wrong, essentially, is, is what I heard, uh, the way I interpreted it. Uh, and that, you know, Juan Carlos was saying that here he is, he's swirling around in an eddy, and he just realized panicking is not going to help me here. And I, and, and, you know, just moving from level to level to level of equanimity and then finding the place where, where it works out. And that, that, and that seems to be really, to me, that really resonates with, with what Bachelor is describing in that passage that I've read and, and, and that you were describing today. Mm. It's really important to be able to just stop and take a deep breath, you know, and then when these feelings come up out of your body and you're about to get dumped over in a kayak and all that stuff, take a deep breath, you know, and see where you are and, and see what is available to you. And, uh, and it's much, and typically it's, there's a lot more available to you than you, than you have in the tunnel vision of reactivity. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then once you've done that, you know, once you've, um, as he was saying, of course he had the fourth knockover again, but <laughs> the next two were a lot better because he had this change of you know, attitude about it. It wasn't such a fearful thing. It was like, having fun here. So, so yeah. Once you do it, it makes it easier. I think the mm -hmm. next time that one sense of freedom tells you, oh, this doesn't have to be a terrifying experience. Okay, that looks like it. <laughs> <laughs>